And welcome back, everybody, to Double Down with Breslow, where we cover everything in the world of sports betting, the industry of sports betting in particular. And today, I think we've got a first for our show. We're going to dive into the world of gambling in Web3. Jonathan Strauth is the founder and CEO and chairman of Invincible GG, an interactive gaming company specializing in skill-based competitive gaming and AI-powered virtual sports. And these are virtual sports that will be found in Web3, but I'm not even sure I understand what Web3 is, but that's what we've got Jonathan here to explain to all this to all of us. Jonathan, welcome to the program. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I feel like we've stepped into the future with this episode. <laughs> and uh, be, be behind you, we've already got uh, AI and, and Web3 happening. Uh, but I think that is a fair question to start with to make sure we're people understand the terminology and so on. But And I know you, you've said Web3 is important to what you guys are doing. So explain to us what Web3 is. Sure. Well, Web3 really means the metaverse. It means uh, uh, companies, products utilizing blockchain uh, technologies to whatever their business model supports. In our case, uh, we've always had the vision of people owning our AI entities. And it's one thing to own an entity that sits on someone's server. So if you, you're playing a video game and you have a fighter and that fighter sits on EA or Ubisoft servers, not you don't actually control it yourself. It's their technology, their their code. What blockchain does for us is allow us to actually give our players true ownership of their entities. So uh, the entities sit on the blockchain. They are their possession from day one. And so we're leveraging that technology to provide true ownership for players. So it's uh, it seems like a little, a little nuance that's not that important, but in fact it is because uh, if our company up and folded, which we're not going to do it. Uh, where would that asset go? In this case, the people own it from day one, they control it themselves and they can buy and sell, trade it in our case, breed it as well uh, with other players on their own and uh, they control the entities. So okay. that's one thing we use the blockchain and the metaverse uh, web three technology for the other is we are leveraging uh, blockchain as well to have gaming tokens. So players can participate, they can breed, they can raise utilizing um, our cryptocurrency, as well as other cryptocurrency, as well as U.S. dollars and other fiat currencies uh, to participate. But we, we have our own token as well. Okay. And then the metaverse, I think most people think about that as far as what they've seen in movies and so on. You know, was it Ready Ready Player? What, what's the name of the movie? Ready Player One. Ready Player One. Um, is that an important element to what you're doing, that there be some metaverse world like that where these races take place? Uh, it is. I mean, the, the the word metaverse is probably overused and people have it's, it's a word that has a lot of different definitions for different people. You know, our, our, our viewpoint is there's a flesh and blood physical racing world. We're recreating that in, quote unquote, the metaverse, which means virtually. And so we have CGI versions of famous tracks. We have, uh, uh, we believe, true to life virtual horses that are intelligent, um, AI powered, and we're recreating the, the real world in a virtual space. And so when we say in the metaverse, we really mean we're trying to recreate everything there is about racing that's exciting to people in a virtual world, which we just term the metaverse. Now, gotcha. other people, so, so, yeah, go you, you got you. So you guys are the sole create creator of this 
metaverse, if you want to call it that. We're not talking about being able to participate, at least for now, in some other metaverse. Yeah, well, everyone has it again. So when gaming companies talk about the metaverse or meta talks about the metaverse, the question is, there's no one virtual platform that people are participating in. There's a lot of different games that have created, like, you know, a game like Fortnite, where people have created a virtual world and can term it the metaverse, but that's their creation. Um, I've yet to see anyone with the ultimate metaverse. Um, it's more more of a philosophical question about a, uh, a virtual world where people can exist, participate, uh, socialize, have, build communities, and have gaming experiences uh, virtually. Yeah. But, but for what it's worth, uh, Facebook th- supposedly has spent many, many billions creating a metaverse, and uh, it's been pretty people have been pretty dubious about what they've achieved, and now they seem to have pivoted away from it. I mean, wh- what is the, the the latest that you hear from Facebook on this? Uh, same as you, uh, waiting we're, we're waiting with waiting with bated breath as to what they're doing. Wish I had a couple billion dollars to uh, build our metaverse, but that's you know, we'll wait and see. Yeah. And then the other one is being created, isn't it, by the Bored Ape guys? Well, the Bored Ape guys are, are were uh, pioneers in the in the Web3 space and creating with NFTs and so non-fungible tokens, which are essentially artwork that are unique digital pieces of art that people were buying. And uh, they were one of the first and biggest to do and do it well. We do we do a similar thing. We also have NFTs. Our, our AI virtual horses are NFTs de facto. But we were the first guys to really develop what we call dynamic or multifunctional NFTs, which means we kind of go against the phrase non-fungible. Our, our entities actually change. So in our game, when people develop their horses, they train them, they improve them, the horses get experience. All that is constantly being uh, kept in the metadata of the NFTs. So the NFT is actually changing. So it's mm-hmm. uh, the idea of being non-fungible is not true in our case. So we're mm-hmm. kind of on the very edge, very cusp of what's coming in terms of that aspect of metaverse technology or, or Web3 technology in terms of NFTs. Mm-hmm. So to get involved in what you're doing um, as as a person like me, is the first step getting a horse, which is buying an NFT? The first, the first step would be to go to our website, register and participate in our current. We we're currently having a private beta which is 500 folks that uh, uh, we've selected to participate and and give us feedback on the game. We'll be going to a much larger public beta soon in a full release in the first quarter. So the, the first step is really is getting the game. Our game is a mobile game, which is also a first for Web3. Um, but our focus really is not on, you know, we, we have Web3 technology, but our focus is not on Web3 community exclusively. We're trying to build a mobile game that appeals to horse racing enthusiasts and skill gaming enthusiasts globally, um, which is a much, much larger market than uh, Web3 gaming. Uh, so you, people b- will be able to get our game through the App Store on Apple or through Google Play, uh, just like any other mobile game. And our game is free to play. People can participate, own horses, develop horses for no money or for the regular, what we call fiat currency, so US dollars or their local currency. If they want to participate in the Web3 aspects, they they can and we facilitate that. But the game is primarily geared towards mobile gamers. Um, but we're trying to bring those, those folks into the Web3 gaming space as well. Mm-hmm. So when we think about regular horse racing, there's two ways to participate in the sport. One is to 
actually own horses. The other is to simply go to the racetrack and bet on the races. So are you offering both opportunities? Potentially? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Why not? Right. And uh, we, we are we are providing people with the experience of ownership, which, as you know, is hard to achieve in the real world. It takes a lot of money and a lot of time and effort to own real horses. Uh, we make it much easier in the virtual world. And people, I think people really enjoy that experience. We, we are a true skill game. Our whole concept is a company, whether it's horse racing or our next games, which is a three-on-three basketball game and a fighting game. Um, our whole concept is people competing with their brains versus their thumbs. Um, I'm not sure how good of a video gamer you are, but you, as soon as you start uh, requiring tactile skills, the uh, the market gets very small. The number of guys that actually can compete gets very small. But when it comes to people using their brains, it's a much, much larger market. So horse ownership, uh, competing peer-to-peer or in public races with your horses for real money is the primary focus of what we do. We also distribute that content for legal wagering. So we spent many years getting taking our platform, having it patented, uh, taking it to Nevada, having it approved by the Nevada Gaming Commission, having it approved to GLI standards, passing a field trial, and uh, distributing it to casinos for, for real for real money, real wagering. So uh, to answer your question directly, yes, people can compete head-to-head for real money as if they're a horse owner. Um, it's true horse ownership. That content, just like real horse racing, is broadcast for wagering as well. So if you're in Nevada... Uh, you can go to casinos on the strips and wager on our product. We are currently rolling out countrywide in Panama at the track, betting shops, casinos across the country with Kaderi. Uh, we have a global uh, expansion plan with them as well. And we're in dialogue, uh, latter stage dialogue to finalize deals in the UK and Australia for distribution for wagering as well. So we're trying to step by step, step uh, increase the dissemination and, and wagering on our races at the same time. Uh, increasing our player base who are participating in these races. So you have a Nevada gaming license. Uh, we were not directly licensed. We uh, our platform is licensed and approved. We work through a company called Competition Interactive, who is a licensed operator in the state of Nevada. So we've licensed our platform to them, and they're the ones that are the licensed part partner. And we did that honestly for convenience because, as you probably know, it's a many year journey to get licensed and. We felt the fastest way to market was to do a licensing deal with with an already licensed manufacturer. Right. Now, are we up and running yet in Nevada? Is there a casino I can walk into and bet on your races? Uh, You could have walked in a casino a few weeks ago and bet on our races. They're actually, at the moment, not live because we're waiting for the release of the beta to let people. So in casinos like South Point and some of the Boyd properties, we're going to be running as part of our uh, beta specific contests in those casino locations where people who own the horses will be actually run the horses and people can wager on the big screens. Currently, uh, uh, we were live for a long period of time with uh, with BetMGM to get our field trial approval. We had to do a statewide field trial test of having the paramutual side. You know, you know from a paramutual standpoint, you have to have liquidity. So we had to have, I think we had 15 or 16 casinos running concurrently um, and people wagering in all those casinos and our products in order to pass the field trial. But we are fully integrated. We are um, we have a deal with the Nevada Paramutual Association to distribute our content to all the casinos in the state that they that take horse bets. We've already integrated with Las Vegas Dissemination Company to distribute to the entire state. And we have done specific integrations with 15 or 16 casinos that uh, have and will be showing our races on a daily basis. How does the real horse race industry feel about you guys? 
Um, I think it's a, a, I think they're excited about what we bring. I think they view us as a way to attract younger demographics. I think it's the right way to look at us, which is uh, the biggest problem in horse racing is the, the uh, fan base is aged, aging, and uh, uh, getting smaller. And what we've, we've, we've already done, um, you know, our first NFT sale. And we were sold out in in minutes. And the uh, amount of response from the Web3 community has been incredible. And so if you look at like you go, you go to our Twitter page, I think our Twitter page has gone from like 74 people to over 7,000 people in 10 days. We already have more followers and more uh, instant, uh, impressions than both uh, Stronach and Churchill combined. Um, so the question of it, are people who are young and Web3 people are young excited about horse racing and virtual horse racing. Absolutely. And our business model is to capture those people in our game and via our partnerships with companies like the major racing companies in the US and the major racing companies in Australia and the UK to create a cycle where people are playing our game. Their races are running at the tracks. They can see their horses run on the tracks. They can bet on their horses at the tracks. And we do specific contests and events where we give everyone in the grandstands a horse and that horse runs on that day. And the winners get great prizes and those people come into our game and we send them back to the track. So we're bringing younger people into the industry through our game. That's the goal. And I think that really appealing to the horse racing industry. So do you have some actual partnerships with the horse sure, racing like, industry? So, like, so for example, our, our tote partner in Panama is United Tote, which is part of Churchill Downs. So we're already in a partnership with them. We have uh, uh, already integrated with the three largest totes in the U.S., so that includes uh, 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 first um, United Tote, and then all, and then Betmakers as well, because we were integrated with Stronach with uh, with us uh, uh, the, the prior company name Sportech before Bet, uh, Betmakers bought them. So we're already integrated with all those guys, and we're in latter stage uh, negotiations with the largest uh, uh, region in Australia, the horse racing group there, um, which does more wagering than one um, province in the entire United States combined. And then we're uh, in liner stage discussions with the the largest horse racing track owner in the UK. Do the same. And then didn't you have to also do licensing deals? Because if I'm understanding you, you have your horses racing in traditional tracks like Churchill Downs and Santa Anita. We are. We have uh, developed. We have historically done uh, licensing deals with many of the major U.S. tracks. And we are converting those deals to now new deals with this Web3 and mobile game as well. So, yeah, we have uh, we have incredible tracks that look just like the real tracks. And uh, we're just finalizing the, the terms of those deals. So we, virtual- we, 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 of course, want to get not just the rights to the track. We want that those partners to market to their consumers, their fans, and share and then share in the revenue that comes through our platform uh, back to them. So we think it's a virtuous cycle we're trying to push with these. You want to be complementary with old school horse racing, and, and and you think you're going to actually help help that. Of course, the flip side could be that you could ultimately replace it. But you're yeah. saying that's not your intention. But I mean, horse racing has been going down, and it's very expensive event to put on, and it takes a ton of real estate. And here in Los Angeles. Uh, they tore down Hollywood Park and they built a football stadium and a bunch of restaurants and shops and condos. Um, and there's a lot of other tracks that are being looked at being, you know, with the same thing happening to them. 
there's something that's already been happening in natural consolidation of the horse racing industry. Uh, other countries, though, horse racing is is, is flourishing, and uh, they're doing a better job of attracting younger demographics into their into their sport. When you look at virtual racing historically, in, in markets like the UK and Australia, you see about a twenty percent penetration of virtual racing uh, to real racing, and when virtual racing was introduced, the entire handle grew. It wasn't like it was cannibalizing the existing handle. It grew. And what it does is it creates content when, where there was none. People always think there's so much horse racing available in the world. There's always something to bet on. There just isn't. It's about a 20% kind of, uh, when you do the white space analysis, only 20% of the time, the wagering time is actually occupied by live horse racing. And so what virtual racing does is provides continuity between the live racing what our horse racing does it creates true affinity with people allows people to actually own the horse see their horse running compete it gives ownership to people who can never have it so we think it's just going to grow the horse racing industry versus uh uh cannibalize it and as, as it grows you know more content the other side of it which i think is the i, I think the site the part people overlook is there's a lot of pressure on the horses in live racing to maintain revenues they have to run and run a lot and horses break down. And the fact is, if we can somehow uh, allow there to be fewer but better racing, fewer but better uh, wagering opportunities in live racing, then we're helping the industry. And we're helping the industry from a uh, from a animal rights and animal protection as well. Because uh, it'd be great to have it'd be great to have not so many horses breaking down as they do today. Yeah. Gotta take our break, Jonathan Strauss. Founder, CEO, Chairman, Invincible GG will be back after the break. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel. Hi, it's Lauren the Better, and you're listening to Double Down with Breslow on the Evergreen Podcast Network. And welcome back, everybody, to Double Down with Breslow. We are speaking with Jonathan Strauss. He is the founder, CEO, and chairman of Invincible GG, an interactive gaming company specializing in skill-based competitive gaming. And his specific product we're focused on at the moment is his horse racing product. Um, and and I think it's very interesting how your intention is for it to be complementary of traditional horse racing, which is an industry that's in desperate need of help. So, I mean, if this is something that helps the industry, that's that's amazing. I mean, you know, it used to be traditionally the sport of kings. I think in America, wasn't it even ahead of baseball? It was baseball and horse racing at one point that were the, the top two sports in America. Uh, that's true. And the, the, again, we, we look at things very differently in the United States because on a global basis, horse racing is still the second largest wagered on sport in the world. And it's the third most watched sport in the world. 
What is do you have an explanation as to why it fell so dramatically in the U.S., but not in other places? I, I have I have my opinions on the industry and the way the industry works together or doesn't work together. I think it's part of the problem. Uh, I don't want to be the on record being the basher of uh, uh, the companies. But the fact is, you have three very strong companies, a handful of very strong independents, and they don't work together. And uh, I think that's not the case in other places like Australia and the UK. I think there's a lot more um, synergy between the major players that that push to have a successful industry better than they do here. Yeah, well, and, and I don't know how they do it in the other countries that, that therefore is better than the U.S., but what I've always said is, I mean, Kentucky Derby is something that still people seem to be interested in and excited about. The problem, in my opinion, is when, when you're watching that race, it's the first time that you're hearing about these horses and hearing about these jockeys and so on. It's If it was the Super Bowl, it would be like, oh, yeah. These are the two top teams. We've known about them. We've followed them throughout the season. We've seen their ups and downs, see how they barely made it into the playoffs, et cetera. And we know the whole backstory. And somehow it seems to me that's what needs to be created is that there's got to be some series that people are following and tracking these horses to see and be fascinated who's going to make it to the Kentucky Derby and then ultimately win. But don't you think that in general, that's a good concept? I do. I agree. And I think the Breeders' Cup has done a great job of trying to create that kind of a series of you know, year-long uh, win-in-your-in series of races that gets you up to the Breeders' Cup. And I think um, they've done a really good job at that. Other, It's interesting because other markets, we, we're, we're lucky enough that we're in these discussions. We learn about other markets and what they're doing. And so I compare, you know, in the U.S., uh, take a company like Churchill Downs, which I would argue is uh, – the creme de la creme of the horse racing industry in terms of the companies and the professionalism of which the companies are run. They, uh, but they, they are primarily these days, a casino company, not a horse racing company. And you look at Australia take a, take a region like Victoria and a, a group like racing Victoria that works with all the tracks in Victoria. And they've got uh, close to a million hardcore horse racing fans in a database, but they also have 1.6 million casual fans in a database that they're trying to work and convert into uh, you know, continuously playing fans. And they do it with things like night racing and creating real social events around the tracks on a concerted, regular basis, having the kind of events you're talking about, which is having a series of events where horses compete to get to the bigger event. They have um, other regions are, 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 are dabbling in ideas of, of like team racing and trying to create leagues of horse racing. The U.S. is thinking about that too. But they're trying to do things that excite younger players and newer players that uh, haven't been tried before. And I think they do it on a much more kind of um, collaborative basis in those countries than we do here. Mm -hmm. So one of the biggest problems today for horse racing in an ADD generation is the fact that, you know, there's one race every 30 minutes. So even if you can get people to go to the track, you're sitting around waiting 30 minutes for a one minute race. They've tried to fill that in with simulcast races and so on. But that is where also, I presume, you step in. So, and, and as you said, virtual racing is not new. You guys are taking it to another level. But um, have they been using virtual racing in between the races at at racetracks? They don't. They really, they actually don't. And, think in, and they're using the betting shops in the UK and betting shops in Australia. And certainly at the tracks in Australia, you can also see the, the, uh, the virtual races. What we've done in uh, a product we've we've tested with a major U.S. company, 
successfully. And then we've also um, are now rolling out a plan with an Australian company is what we call a uh, race day. So it's, it's a, an applicant. So it's like our, it's like our uh, owner's club game, but you're at the track. You're one of 40,000 people in the stands. We give everybody a horse and a horse is competing in a series of races throughout the day. So in between races, um, yet you can wage our simulcast. You can also watch your race, your horse run in a race between races and see how it does and see if you move on in the tournament for real prizes. And those races can be streamed live as well for wagering. So people can actually be at the track owning a horse. That horse is running the same day as they're there. And it's a way just to make the whole experience of being at the track much more exciting because they're participating. Everybody loves to participate. And one of the challenges with horse racing is very few people get to participate. So how is one of your horse races decided relative to a typical virtual horse race? Great question. The um, And we're unique in this in our platform, as I mentioned before, is patented. So we use uh, AI-powered simulation. And so what our patent actually is on is on it's not just AI power. It's any form of sports simulation where the result is being determined in real time. So most technologies use either an RNG. So they spin an RNG, get an outcome, and they go to a database of races that have been pre-recorded. They pull a race out and they broadcast that race. So it's not a live event. It's just like it's like a slot machine with the outcome being a pre-recorded video. Other people do um, math uh, mathematical decision tree equations where they'll run a bunch of math for the same outcome as they determine a winner. They go and get the result video and they play it. And that's, that is how 99% of the ho- virtual horse racing, virtual sports on world are done. And, and sorry, to be clear, you're saying th- they're just pulling historical races. No, it's, it's just a database of uh, CGI races okay. they've created. Okay. What we're different is we do it all real time and our, our, Horses are not, our horses are truly competing. The gates open, the horses are all, all have strategies and tactics. They all have capabilities. Every step of the race, they're individually trying to win that race against the other horses. We don't know the outcome. The machine doesn't know the outcome. No one knows the outcome until the horses cross the finish line. And uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a novel technology. Uh, what's really cool about it is when you, when you do things real time, it's like a real sporting event. And so you can have people participate. You can have people own those horses and tell the horses what to do and train those horses and develop them so they can compete better. You can do real-time advertising. You can have one of the cool things we can actually do is have the same horse race running at different tracks, meaning the track is the same, but the stands are different. The branding is different. The marketing is different. It's all a different environment, but it's the same horse race. So if the Hong Kong Jockey Club wanted to show our races and we don't have a deal or we're not working on a deal with them, but I'd love to. Um, it could be a race at the Hong Kong Jockey Club. At the same time, you had a race at one of the famous U.S. tracks. And again, the goal is to build liquidity in the game, in the pool, because that's where, you know, the more liquidity, the better the betting op- opportunity, the more appealing it is to gamblers. And that's a better thing. And so our, our real-time technology provides a lot of uh, benefits that you just can't get from a random number generated race. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's a real so- race. So it's is the, is there how does the jockey interplay with the horse in your horse race? Yeah. So candidly, right now, our jockeys are turned off. You know, people always debate about uh, whether jockeys help or they're just along for the ride. Um, in our system, currently, we've turned our jockeys off. We will eventually turn them on. We, we have this concept of roles where we know that our community 
the people that play the game, some people like to own horses, some people like to train horses, some people like to breed horses. Not everyone wants to do all those things. And then some people want to ride horses and actually control them. And so we will next year be introducing the roles and we will eventually be turning on the jockey gameplay where uh, jockeys will be NFTs. And one of the reasons why we haven't done this, candidly, is the hardest thing about the horse racing industry is getting rights. We made a commitment to ourselves and to our board and to our shareholders that we would not ever do anything in a gray market. Like the reason why, if you look at if you look at virtual racing companies in Web3, most offer wagering on their races. Most offer skill gaming on their races, even though they're not skill games. And they use VPNs to circumvent regulations. We don't do that. We're never going to do that. We're always going to follow um, the rules. And one of the rules that those companies also have been breaking is utilizing IP without the rights. And so the big rights out there are the horses. Like we won't, you won't see Zenyatta in our game because we won't allow anyone to name their horse Zenyatta until Zenyatta, the owners of Zenyatta, give us the rights to do so. Same with our tracks. You'll never see us using a name of a track that's not uh, been licensed to us. And is, is that part of what you see in the future? Is having the actual horses be virtual? Absolutely. Absolutely. And 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 they would therefore have the same characteristics of their live companion. You got it. And we would do that with a, in, a, in a licensed relationship where we're sharing the lion's share of the revenues with the actual IP owner. We just think, and, and when it comes to things like breeding uh, and creating new uh, horses, having uh, connectivity to real horses is really important. And so, and, and th this would allow some incredible all-time races where Secretariat takes on Zenyatta uh, yeah, or any other horse. Yeah, absolutely. You got the greatest of all time, all in one race. Yeah, absolutely, and that would be to us great entertainment, great wagering entertainment. And and how could you make that like really legit, where people would? Because I could see people getting quite excited about you know the ten greatest horses ever actually are going to be in a real race together. How could you represent that? And by the way, the outcome of this is is very likely to replicate if it had truly happened. Yeah, so we've done this in the past. So we actually take horses, we take their bloodlines, we take their past performances, and we turn them into AI horses. We did it with uh, Stronach and the Preakness two years ago and ran a virtual Preakness on the Friday before the Preakness. And if you go back to that, and anyone who follows us knows that we predicted four of the top five horses with our race. Of the actual race, uh, we, the only, we got the first horse right, second horse right, third horse was wrong. Uh, it came in, uh, we had Flip to the third and fourth. And so we nailed four of the top five horses. And um, that was based on us basically taking those horses and creating AI versions of them, looking at their past performances, and then putting them into our, our simulation model, having them run. And uh, it was really cool because we had the, the announcer for the Preakness call our race uh, the day before. And uh, anyone that bet on us based on bet on the race based on our AI did really well. It was a it was a great it was a great showcase for our technology. And, and once again, the jockeys played no role, huh? The jockeys played no role. <laughs> <laughs> but events. But so we actually went uh, several years ago and tried to get the rights to jockeys. And it was a very challenging negotiation because it's just, you know, we're a startup company. We don't have a lot of funds. Uh, we tend to do partnerships on a revenue share basis. And I think the jockeys are, you know, some of the you know most important uh 
characters and and people in the industry and they have great value and they value themselves and we just couldn't get a deal done and so we think in the future we will so i, I i'm i'm curious again as far as what the focus is as far as creating these races and it's all about people owning horses and and being on that side of the business and so they're buying their horses you're saying they're training their horses they're preparing them they're entering them into races and then ultimately potentially winning prize money just like a regular horse owner would in our in our game and we only allow it in 37 states where it's permissible you and i can race our one you know one-on-one with by ourselves in a match race or with other uh, CPU horses, we can run a real money event. I can say, let's put a, you know, James, let's put a hundred dollars in this race and you and I can race and the winner gets the money. Or okay. we can do our entire stable. I can race my, up to seven of my horses against seven of your horses. And, you know, the revenues come back, the, the winnings come back based on which place our horses come in. And that's. And are you doing that under the horse racing paramutual rules of that state that's a pure that's pure a skill gaming contest so okay. um it's a real money skill game so it's uh um if you're familiar with a company called skills who kind of are the pioneers that uh survived all the arrows in their back you know it's permit they're, they're actually doing it in 42 states they're doing it in, in five more st- states than we will because we're not as, we're more risk averse than they are um but it's the same when when uh fan duels and DraftKings. Uh, were made permissible in a lot of states. It was under the fact that they weren't in conflict with the gaming regs. They were actually a game of skill. We right. are like we are like uh, there are about a hundred more points of skill in what we do than uh, those type of fantasy sports. So, but aren't there uh, a lot of limits on skill as far as you know how much you can play for? There are, and there and those are state. Everything is state specific. There is right. uh, limits in terms of how big the pool can be, how much how the pool aligns to uh the amount being contributed by the players all that kind of stuff and so it's in a different it's differentiated state by state and we can comp- we make sure we comply in every state right so so there's that then the idea that somebody observing the race could bet on it then now we're in a whole different category we are and they can only in places where it's been made permissible so for example in nevada the platform had to be approved by the nevada gaming commission we are gli uh, approved so in like north dakota where we are deployed as well we had to get licensed in north dakota panama we got to get licensed and so as we go state by state we have to get licensed and, and what laws okay. are you working under there is that the state's horse racing laws is that's what it's how it's being treated or is it, it being, being treated as sports betting it depends on the state so in nevada we had to like our partner in nevada uh not only had to have a manufacturer's license they had to go and get a paramutual systems operator's license so it's treated at our so we run, we run both types of races in Nevada. We run RNG based races, which we don't talk much about because it's not as good as the real thing. And we run our AI races. The AI races are paramutual, and so they're treated like like true horse, like they're treated like real horse races. It's under you know it's esoteric because it's under certain regs. Like other other sports, paramutual is the set of regs in Nevada we were under versus the horse racing regs because the horse racing regs in Nevada have to do with owning physical tracks running a, uh, and, and in Nevada there's only this like the, the state fair meets and so you have to be in that part of the code which we're not so we're in the other paramutual sports part of the regulations in Nevada uh-huh. and then from to go from state to state there's two ways to go you can go and either get permissive be permitted under state regs as either a horse race as a paramutual event or as a uh, sporting event um or our 
you know, our the holy grail for us is to be approved within the Interstate Horse Racing Act as a simulcast event, um, which we believe and our lawyers believe uh, is permissible. So as we go from a state like Nevada to a state like New York, our perspective is as long as Nevada and New York uh, commissions uh, approve a simulcast agreement, it's permissible for wagering on in New York, mm-hmm. which is a line of logic we're pushing. Fascinating. Well, I got a thousand more questions, but we got to wrap up. So I'm just going to ask one final one, which is how did you hit on horse racing as the, the one that you're going to, and I know you plan on doing others, but you chose this as, as your first, what, what was the logic there? Um, several things. One logic of convenience, the technology platform we acquired was already doing horse racing, but it was really more that more than two things. One is already mentioned the scale of the, of the consumer base that it's the second most wagered on sport in the world and the third most viewed, but also it's the one sport that has a universal standard for wagering. So the tote system, the totalization system, uh, there's a global standard. You have 80% market share of the three largest totes we're already integrated with. So when it comes time to scale the wagering side of things in in the dissemination of races globally, there's already systems in place and and a easy way to do that. So that was the, the seem like the best product and the best gaming platform to go to market on. Mm-hmm. But we are very, I mean, we have, uh, if we had more time, I would tell you about what we're doing on the AI side and three on three basketball and our fighting and how we're really utilizing what we think is pretty cool technology we have to make really exciting games in those genres, um, which we think horse racing is great from a mobile gaming standpoint, but three on three basketball and uh, and combat games, fighting games is a massive, massive market with millennials and Gen Z. What about so, dogs? Since now they seem to be banning dog racing in, in most places. It's a way to keep the dogs uh, running. It's easy. That's an easy one for us. Um, we are looking uh, with our UK partner doing dogs in the UK. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, they're cute. You know, you get to raise your own dog instead of a horse. And seems it, like it could be. It raises all kinds of cool things you can do with AI. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Your dogs sure. every morning your dog does a new trick for you, right? It's right. It's, it's easier to do a dog trick than a horse trick. Right. Exactly. Is it am I right that I know Florida banned it, right? Is it pretty much banned in all the US? I'm not following it closely. I think it's uh, I don't know where dog racing is currently legal yeah. in the US. Maybe. Well, by the way, horse racing is not that far from being banned. Uh, there's in you the there's certainly plenty of calls for it in light of all the, the problems of late. California has got a massive fight in their hands. Is is there, right? Is, is there state legislation that's been proposed in California? It's it's, uh, it's just more of the activists are raising up against trying to prevent uh, uh-huh. industry from moving forward. Yeah. Well, I'm a longtime fan of it, and uh, Santa Anita is still a good place to go. Getting a little run down, but um, still a fabulous place and a great place to go. But yeah, attendance is the times I've been there recently has not been strong one of my favorite that's one of my favorite places in the world and i was actually i love I, I lived in la for 15 years and uh i loved hollywood park i love yeah. uh, uh and i love uh santa anita it's what's my and we actually have a uh we did a truly beautiful version of santa anita for stronach and for uh the breeders cup years ago um which we've updated and hopefully we'll someday get it to get to use Who, it again. when was the last time you were at santa anita oh geez years three or, yeah. three or four years yeah yeah. Yeah. I was there a few years ago and I didn't, it just didn't have a great feel to me, but then I spoke to someone else who went there recently and said that, no, they thought that it's been renovated recently. So I hope so. I mean, yes, I was I there pre COVID. So it's been a while. 
Yeah, yeah. All right, buddy. Appreciate uh, the interview. Jonathan Strauss, founder, CEO, chairman of Invincible GG. These guys seem to be on to something for our for our casual uh, viewer and listener out there. What, what should they be watching? Where should they expect to see you guys uh, next or be looking for your product? I would follow us on Twitter. That's the best place to kind of stay connected with us. And Owners Club GG is the uh, so at Owners Club GG is the Twitter handle. And uh, that's and if somebody place. wanted to buy a horse, can they still buy a horse? Well, they can soon. Our our recent sales, as I said, sold out. So there's no horses available right now, which is we're really excited about because it's in a down market. Um, but so uh, later this month, we'll be doing another sale. Right. And they can definitely participate. All right. And they'll find out about that where? On the on our, on Twitter. On Twitter. Or our, or our website, which is ownersclub.invinciblegg.com. All right, Jonathan, really appreciate it. And uh, thank everybody for watching and listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of Double Down with Breslow. Take care of everyone.